0: sound means a lot to me as a musician. Also, I've said this before, art adorns space and music adorns time. I think of music as sacred and all sounds as sacred because of the power to shape our reality, which is what we're going to explore. We're going to consider the, the fundamental nature of words and language. But perhaps the formlessness of sounds gives it its magic to bring people together from all walks of life. It's almost as if the vibrations of our instruments, of our voices and in the concerts penetrates our surface differences and speaks to something spiritual or touches something spiritual or metaphysical that unites everybody. And so at least during that decoration of time, people have the potential to be peaceful or to be connected and inspired and held by the sound. Words are the primary building blocks of our, our language. Our language is special when you look around all organisms, all life, because it's so complex, it's so nuanced, it's so rich. Yes, other animals have impressive forms of communication, but Our symbology is part of what makes it unique to be a human being. So what do these words do? Words can name things, like there's that. They can describe things. They can describe nature and the world around us. But they also express something happening within us. Feelings, ideas, desires, beliefs, preferences, and so on. But words change over time, and how they change is kind of fascinating. And the etymology of words is something that I really love. And you'll notice that if you've ever heard any talks with me before, that I try to trace the origin of the word to see how it evolves and and also what can be recovered from that kind of investigation or reclaimed about the original power or meaning of words. So they do change over time. They have their own evolution. Language has, has its evolution. Cultural influences shape it, and new words are created along the way, which is amazing, too, especially as technology introduces new concepts and new ideas. We, we develop new words for that. But where does this all come from? It's tens of thousands of years old or more, this um, system of language and the, the different kinds of languages around the world for different civilizations. But there are a few prevailing theories in the fields of anthropology and linguistic studies, but one is a, a mimetic theory that humans simply developed the ability to mimic the environment and make sounds similar to nature. And if you think of the concept of automatopoeia, where the word is actually what it sounds like, yes, there's some obvious ones like plonk, or crash or hiss like a snake. So perhaps that S sound was being reflected back and then became a way to communicate something. The snake goes, so we make that sound snake. Just think of the ocean and early humans approaching the ocean or engaging with the ocean. That word itself seems rooted in the phenomena itself in in nature ocean Shh. or its features or what it does the waving or crash onto the shore which sounds like what happens when you're there shore shore and the splashing of the water coming out off the shore so anyways it's it's one fascinating description of the origin and the evolution of words into language. Or there's a, a variation of this that emphasizes gestures that we would point or, or make grunting sounds when we're in pain. It's just a, a natural reflection of the, cha- the biological changes. But when I was a kid, I remember seeing this lecture series by Leonard Bernstein, the famous American composer and a songwriter and it was at harvard in 1973 i believe but the very last lecture the sixth lecture of a series called the unanswered question the last lecture i believe was called poetry of the earth and it's it's quite interesting and and beautiful also because he's interested in phonemes and morphemes morphemes are the basic units of words that contain meaning like words itself has word and the S sound. So there's two morphemes. But he's interested in in phonemes because he's a composer. So he cares about sound. And I remember Bernstein saying something like, there's probably a reason why ma is such a universal phoneme for the mother. Because maybe the sound of a nursing baby is that. Ma, 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 ma. And, and then when the baby and the mother are separated, it makes that sound indicating the need for connection. So we have ma, mother, mama, ama, uh, and so on. And so this is all, you know, I think part of gestural theory. It's also meaningful because among all the other species, we have to stay with our mothers a lot longer than other mammals, especially I think a giraffe can stand up and start walking within two hours of birth. So this all speaks to a a third aspect of the evolution of language, which is basically social interaction and its necessity in the evolution and survival of mankind. We're not very physically capable on our own. We're so sensitive to, to temperature and pressure, our skin isn't very durable or protective like animals with thick fur or shells even. So how did we survive or how did we rise to the top, to the apex of the food chain? It was through friendship. And how do we make friends? We we had to communicate in some way, complex ideas and emotions more effectively. I've also mentioned this before, but there are some interesting theories about our evolution from primates And if you look at their social structures, they're hierarchical. There's a lot of violence and domination. And maybe it's inherent in all of us to resist hierarchy or to rebel against domination and to achieve it, language, more developed language was required. So this is all a social interaction theory that our human survival has been dependent on our cooperation. And when we become friends, we increase our biomass. Me alone in the wilderness, I'm pretty vulnerable to all the other predators and elements. But us together in the wild, we can build fire, we can build weapons, we can build shelter. And together we're stronger and, and it can intimidate predators or danger. There's also wild ideas out there that are not accepted in mainstream science, but some people hypothesize that there are there's other life in the universe and that could be where humans get language or why we're we're here at all so there are different alien theories or that in different mythologies the gods or or god himself or herself bestowed language there are gods of language there are gods of literature and eloquence like saraswati in in hinduism can bestow the power of speech like she did for Kalidasa, the great epic poet of, of India, who was unintelligent according to the lore, but because of his penance and his rejection and dejection and sincere prayer the goddess came on the swan in the river where he was contemplating suicide and gave him a new life humans are indeed unique however this is possible and it involves our brains our brains are different more evolved than other animals the cortex and the prefrontal cortex gives us other capacities for abstraction if you look at animals they're very oriented to the present if there's food there that can be good if there's not food that is the focus perhaps or protection or survival or mating But for humans, our brains allow us to constantly be thinking about the past and the future. And we have the capacity, but I don't think that it's healthy or natural for us to use that capacity or have that be our default mode. But I think societal pressures and and socializations and conditionings create that for us. Our vocal tract anatomy is unique and allows us to produce a wide range of sounds compared to other animals. This is also the seat of the Vishuddha chakra in uh, chakra systems, or the throat chakra. The thyroid gland is there. And I've looked at some research that shows or suggests that when patients don't feel heard in their families, that there is a higher prevalence of thyroid disease. So it's an example of how something seemingly psychological manifests in the physical. And also the power of sound and the impact of the inability to express through sound. This chakra in different yogic traditions is associated with space because the vocal cords vibrate in this vacuum of the neck. So the neck represents the ether. Sound has to travel through some medium or through some emptiness. And so sound is sacred because this throat in the chakra system is a bridge from our body our biology and the word made flesh in christian mysticism it's the bridge between the body the manifestation of the divine through sound and the spirit the soul which is in the third eye and meets the divine through the crown or the fontanelle or the thousand petaled lotus or infinity so sound is the sacred bridge, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Culture also, culture and cumulative learning, our ability with our brain to keep adding onto the mosaic of meaning in the context of civilization. But it's worth noting here that, again, while other animals don't necessarily have language, speech like we do, they do have other systems of communication that are beautiful, like birds Have these intricate song systems, and bees perform a special dance to communicate the location of food. Dolphins and whales have sophisticated vocal signals and songs. But this idea of a bridge, that words become our world, probably one of the most provocative interpretations or theories on this was known as the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. Sapir and Benjamin Wharf of Yale, I believe, he was a a linguistic professor, thought that the Hopi tribe in Southwest did not have grammar for time. And therefore, it was a factor in their peacefulness. Because Sapir hypothesized, based on his study of Mesoamerican languages that there is a linguistic relativity. I think he was inspired by Einstein's theory of relativity and thought, maybe our words and our language generate our conscious experience, but more importantly, our relationship to time. Well, it turns out that Hopi people do have a different way of conceptualizing time, but they do have words for time. It's just subtle or different. And so, so the theory is largely disproven, but there's a weaker version. That still inspires some philosophical discussion, and the movie Arrival is based on the Superior Wharf hypothesis. So, if you just consider words and their relationship to time, whether we construct our words in our mind or on the paper from left to right or right to left, doesn't that determine how we perceive time to be flowing? If you were to draw a timeline of your life, you would put your birth on the left side and draw a line out towards the end of your life on the right. But people who speak Arabic would do the opposite. And YouTube videos in Arabic go from right to left. So they conceptualize the past to the right, where we feel that the past is to the left of us or even behind us. Whereas a South American people known as the Aymara consider the past to be in front and their words reflect this, because you can see what happened in the past. And the future is invisible, so that's conceptualized behind. The words that we use to describe things also affect our sense of time. Like in Spanish, you might refer to a short break with pequena. So pequena is volume, short in English is distance. If you show people in experiments, a glass filling up, depending on whether they speak Spanish or English as the only language, they will vary in the perception of the passage of time. And this is also true for the Greek language that might talk about a big wedding in terms of how long it is, where we might think of a big wedding as a lot of people in English. And then furthermore, if you just take the concept of tenses for our verbs, when you introduce tense, you also introduce tension. Let's take the verb should. If I add have to it, I should have done something. I should have called earlier. This is the conditional perfect tense. Now I'm introducing perfectionism, what I should have done, or what I should do in the future, a future tense based on our abstract thinking. How can you think about what you should have done or what you should do without either regret, guilt, or sense of obligation, right, thereby disrupting our peace and our anchoring to the present moment. This isn't to say these tenses don't have usefulness, but what if a person can't stop thinking about these words? Or should be is sometimes considered present continuous, which disrupts the eternity of the present moment. I should be studying right now for finals. It's a different present. It's an alternate present, the present where I'm not what I am, and therefore there's a a conceptual gap that gets filled in with frustration. I just want to hone in on this creative power. Whether or not language actually produces our reality, it impacts our psychological experience. And different religions have different ways of formulating what this creative power is all about. Like in Hinduism and Buddhism, you have the concept of mantra, which takes these root sounds, or in in the Sanskrit language, 50 phonemes that become the syllables that we find at the root of almost all language. But the mantra can take any special combination of these sounds and produce magic. The belief is that if you say a mantra with the right intention, but with the right mindset, in the right setting, set and setting, you create a psychedelic experience or a mystical experience, or you can manifest. And masters of mantra could heal, could make it rain in a drought, could call a god to come and provide assistance and so on. In Taoism, The very first passage of the central book, the Tao Te Ching, is the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao, or the Tao that can be named is not the the true name or the true Tao. And it speaks to the ineffability of the divine. Mantras for that, mantra is a symbol or holding place. The Taoist text says that in the Abrahamic traditions, god speaks and manifests. god said let this happen let there be light and then there's light demonstrating the mysticism of words in islam the quran is considered the literal word of god but in in sufi branch of mysticism in islam the word is vibrant with poetry and has the capacity of devotion to connect you to the divine Native American wisdom traditions also had their way of talking about the power of language and chanting or ritual with with words or song. And the Kabbalah has uh, letters and words that are considered to have metaphysical magic and the interpretation of sacred texts is a way to understand experientially a divine reality similar to Gnostic traditions. This passage in the Bible, in John, in the gospel, in the beginning was the word. If you think about that for a moment, it's sort of like other cosmologies, whether scientific or mythological. The big bang, that's a sound. Bang is automatopoeia. Or the primordial sound in yoga, the om. Om Omkara is an eternal sound, has no beginning and no end, but because we can't understand that or we can't speak of it we use the word om or a-u-m to express it but in meditation the belief is that you can merge with it this greek word for that line in the bible word was logos but logos is a very multifaceted, faceted multi-dimensional word sometimes it translates to meaning but in this case it could mean christ And Christ could mean the historical figure, or Christ could mean the power of divinity that's dormant in every human being, or God herself or himself, or the divine truth. And the idea that the word becomes flesh in that section of the gospel could mean that God is ineffable, but becomes the symbol, or God is the universal and becomes the individual or incarnates as Jesus or the avatar but also as all of us manifests in the flesh and the flesh is a symbol or a shadow of the divine reality of the of the spirit or the soul behind it so ultimately between the two there's confusions there's limitations And this passage, I think, also suggests something about that bridge. So I want to conclude with the literal difference phonetically between word and world or God and the creation. Word and world is separated only by the letter L. So to summarize all this, maybe we can remember L as a bridge and any bridge is vulnerable. It could break, it could be compromised in a storm or by too much pressure. It has to be taken care of, it has to be maintained. So a bridge is sacred. What could this letter be a bridge for? L could be the language itself. L could stand for that system of symbols and that, it, and to remember that it's symbols. The French philosopher Derrida In his philosophy of grammatology and deconstruction points to the fundamental inability of a word to actually tell us what it is when we say this is a tree it doesn't really tell us what a tree is but it refers to something else it's not that plant i don't know exactly what it is and if you apply this to where we are in space where are you todd i'm here in yorkville but that doesn't really tell us deeply where yorkville is in reality or in the universe but it does say something about where i'm not i'm not in plainfield right now so where is yorkville yorkville's in illinois where's that it's in the united states where's that it's in north america on the earth where is the earth it's in the solar system where is the solar system it's in the milky way galaxy as opposed to other galaxies. And where is that? I don't know. Where is this universe? I don't know. That brings us back to divine mystery. So whether you you, you get there in one way or in another way, something remains ineffable. Or L could be life, that the bridge between the unmanifest and the manifest is uh, the animation as evidenced by language l could mean love that the reason we have this bridge is for nothing else other than a divine leela to play to to be loving to express love and to feel the love of realizing our oneness when we cross back over the bridge or light that between the unmanifest and the manifest you have a play of light and if we remember this as our capacity to illuminate how can our words be photons that go to bring warmth that bring illumination that support a person's journey towards knowledge towards wisdom towards understanding or do our our words create darkness or do they compromise this bridge finally l also can mean limitation reminding ourselves that whatever we say whatever we speak can easily be misunderstood or confuse people, and that ultimately mystical experience, divine experience, nirvana, enlightenment, Satori, God consciousness, Christ consciousness, is best understood through silence when the ether is no longer vibrating, because then there's no more parts. In that state, words don't work, othering doesn't work, Duality doesn't work, multiplicity doesn't work, but we get to experience both dimensions. But the L can remind us of what's sacred behind all that is seen and heard.